And uh, I'm going to be focusing in this message on, uh, on verses 1 to 16, but I will read uh, the entirety of the, of the chapter. Genesis chapter 4. Now Adam knew Eve his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I've gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And again, she bore his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep, and Cain was a worker of the ground. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground, and Abel also brought of the first fruits, or sorry, the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and for his offering, but for Cain and his offering he had no regard. So Cain was very angry, and his face fell. And the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry, and why is your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. Cain spoke to Abel, his brother, and when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. And then the Lord said to Cain, Where is Abel, your brother? He said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? And the Lord said, What have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying out to me from the ground. And now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it shall no longer yield to you its strength. You should be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. And Cain said to the Lord, My punishment is greater than I can bear. Behold, you have driven me away today from the ground, and from your face I shall be hidden. I shall be a fugitive and wanderer on the earth. Whoever finds me will kill me. And the Lord said to him, Not so. If anyone kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the, Lord, uh, and the Lord put a mark on Cain, lest any who found him should attack him. Then Cain went away from the presence of the Lord and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. Cain knew his wife, and she conceived and bore Enoch. And when he had built a city, he called the name of the city after his son, Enoch. So Enoch was, to Enoch was born Erad, Erad fathered Mahujil, Mahujil fathered Methusael, Methusael fathered Lamech, and Lamech had, took two wives. The name of one was Ada, the name of the other Zillah. Ada bore Jabal, she was the father of those who dwell in the tent, he was the father of those who dwell in tents and have livestock. His brother's name was Jubal, he was the father of those who played lip, lyre and pipe. Zillah also bore Tubal-Cain, he was the forger of all instruments of bronze and iron. The sister of Tubal-Cain was Nema. Lamech said to his wife, Ada and Zillah, hear my voice, you wives of Lamech. Listen to what I say. I have killed a man for wounding me, a young man for striking me. If Cain's revenge is sevenfold, then Lamech's is seventy-sevenfold. And Adam knew his wife again. She bore a son and called his name Seth. For she said, God has appointed for me another offspring instead of Abel, for Cain killed him. To Seth also a son was born, and he called his name Enosh. At that time, people began to call upon the name of the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. Let's pray again together. Lord God, we praise you for this passage of Scripture, for in this passage we see that the spread of sin. And Lord, in this, in this passage we see our sin. Lord, I pray that, that you would help us. Lord, to do what Cain did not do, would you please help us to repent of all sin. 
Would you please help us to turn and follow you? Lord, we pray that as we, uh, as we look at this passage of Scripture together this morning, that, that you would help us to worship you in, in faith for what you have done for us in Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. So we asked the children, and now I want to ask you, did you get along with your siblings growing up? Or did you experience sibling rivalry? Did you compete for your parents' attention? Were you jealous of each other? Did you fight? Well, how do you get along with your siblings today? By the grace of God, my brother and I have a pretty good relationship right now, but that wasn't always the fact. I used to treat my brother appallingly as we, grew, as we were growing up. I used to pick on him incessantly, and even into adulthood, I fought with him. It took some serious repentance on my part and some serious forgiveness on my brother's part for us to have the relationship that we have today. Today we're looking at the first case of sibling rivalry ever, and it couldn't have ended any worse. This case was never resolved because one of them ended up dead. We left Adam and Eve at the end of Genesis 3 as they were driven from the garden with cherubim and a flaming sword, preventing them from having access to the tree of life. The Lord God had warned Adam that on the day that he ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, that he would surely die. As we know, Adam and his wife ate. And though he had the sentence of death, On him, death would not come for Adam for 930 years, though it would come much sooner, at least for one of his children. In Genesis 4, we see the first human death, the first murder, and it is the direct result of Adam's sin. But it's not just those first children that were affected by Adam's sin. All of Adam's Adam's children are affected by his sin. All of Adam's children would follow in the steps of his firstborn son to one degree or another. Every homicide, every school shooting, every act of unjust war, every abortion, every terrorist act all come from that first sin. They're all of the same species as that first murder. But as we talked about with the children, it's not just those outward acts of violence, but all inward acts of violence as well. All of that unrighteous anger in our hearts is still of the same species as that first murder. The consequence of covenant breaking is death. Spiritual death and eventually physical death. Satan had committed an act of war against God in the garden and he dragged humanity into the conflict. As a result of of that act of war, the, the seed of the serpent and the seed of the woman would be at war. There would be continual conflict between the people of God and the people of Satan until the final judgment. until the, 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 the victory will be finally achieved. We know that Jesus already won the victory for us on the cross when he crushed the serpent's head, but we are waiting until that final day when victory is finally and fully completed. 
Now I said in an earlier sermon that, that, uh, that Satan is the federal head of those who follow him. That's actually not correct. He is, he is the head of all who follow him, but he is not the federal head in the same sense that Adam is the federal head of the human race. We're all under the headship of, of one federal head, either Adam as our representative or for those who have turned away from their sin and turned to Jesus Christ under, under him as our head. So we have gathered here together this morning at a trust as those who have turned away from allegiance to, to the serpent and put our faith and our obedience in Jesus Christ. That we are on his side. On the side of the one who, who crushed Satan. But here in Genesis 4, we see the war continuing we see that war continuing. Adam had faith in this promise that, that God would one day crush the serpent's head through his offspring. And so he called his wife Eve, which means the mother of all living. The mother of all living. And so with verse 1 of, of chapter 4, we see what appears to be the beginnings of the fulfillment of that promise. We see the gift of life with the birth of a son. And, and so we read in, in verse one, now Adam knew his wife and she conceived and bore Cain saying, I've gotten a man with the help of the Lord. Adam knew his wife. This speaks of, of intimate knowledge of human physical relations. But, but Eve is giving glory to the Lord. She says that I have gotten a, a man with the help of the Lord. She's, she's acknowledging the Lord's work in this. Kidner, Kidner says that every so that Eve's cry of faith lifts the situation out of the rut of the purely natural to its true level, to the spiritual level. So she's rejoicing in this, this gift of a child from the Lord, but it's, it's more here than, than the gift of, of a child, as precious a gift as that is. This child, to Eve's understanding, is the fulfillment of God's promised seed but how wrong she was. The Lord would fulfill that promise soon enough, but not through Cain, and nor through Abel, her second child, because in verse two we read of the birth of her second son, of Abel. And Moses tells us that Abel was a keeper of sheep and Cain a worker of the ground. Now, we need to be careful here. Some commentators would, would say that, that one vocation is exalted above the other. But, but they're, they're not above the other. They're just different vocations. But that is not where the differences between Cain and Abel end. Their primary difference comes in their worship. In their worship, in verses 3 and 4, In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground, and Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. So Cain brought some of, of the crops and, and offered them to the Lord, and, and Abel uh, brought an animal of the firstborn of his flock. And, and you can see from the, the fact that it, it, that it was the fat portions, this, this would have been a healthy animal. We read in verses 4 and 5, The Lord had regard for Abel and for his offering, but for Cain and his offering, the Lord had no regard. It's possible here that this detail describing Abel's offering, that the fact that it's the firstborn, the fact that it's, it's the fat portions over and against Abel's offering of, 
of, of where it's described as simply fruit of the ground, it, it's possible those added details with Abel's offering is meant to show us that, that there was a difference in heart between Abel's worship and, and Cain's worship. But we can't conclude from this that Cain's offering was not accepted because it wasn't a blood, a blood sacrifice. The word that's used here refers to offerings, not sacrifices. There is no sense from this text here that God was not pleased because it wasn't blood that Cain offered. We see repeatedly in the Old Testament that God doesn't reject grain offerings. In fact, he accepts and calls for grain offerings, provided that they are given with a heart that is truly worshipful heart that is truly worshipful and that's the issue here the heart of worship from both men one truly worshiped but the other didn't abel's offering was accepted because it came from a heart of faith but abel was worshiping the lord while cain wasn't the New Testament provides more insight for us. In, in Matthew 23, verse 35, we, we read of, of Abel as being righteous Abel. And then in the Hebrews Hall of Faith, in Hebrews chapter 11, we read, By faith Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by, his, by accepting his gifts. So you see that by faith Abel offered to God this sacrifice. So Abel's offering was by faith. Friends, true worship comes only from true faith. I want to ask you this morning, are you truly worshiping the Lord? Is the Lord accepting your worship? Is he accepting your offering? I'll ask it another way. Why did you come to church this morning? Was it because somebody made you come? Or was it merely from a sense of, of duty? Was it to keep up appearances? Was it to try to earn God's favor? Friends, if it was any of those things, this is not true worship. I'll ask it in another way. What was going on in your heart and your mind while we were singing and praising God this morning? What was going on in your heart and your mind as we took up the offering? What was going on in your mind as we, as we prayed and, and as, as I preached this message? Is it true worship? Does your response come from, from a heart of faith? Or is it something else? Friends, the Lord doesn't want your stuff. He wants you. He wants your heart. He wants your faith. He wants your love. He wants your obedience. And anything less than that is not true worship. But it wasn't just one, one offering that the Lord accepted and the other that the Lord rejected. Listen, it was one man who the Lord accepted and one man 
who the Lord rejected. Look again at the end of verse four and the beginning of, of verse five. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. The, the Lord accepted Abel, but rejected Cain. The Lord rejects those who do not truly worship him. He rejects those who do not have faith. Now, Moses doesn't say explicitly then why Cain and his offering were rejected, but, but he does clearly communicate Cain's response to this rejection. And so in this response, we see Cain's heart. Cain was very angry and his face fell. Cain was very angry at his brother. This was not going to end well. But Cain wasn't just very angry at Abel. He was also very angry at God. He was very angry at God. Romans 8, 7 says, The mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. Loving and serving yourself is a barrier to loving and serving the Lord. Loving and serving yourself is a barrier that prevents you from loving and serving the Lord. So when we, we look at, at Cain's response, we, we see an angry man. This, the situation did not make Cain angry. The situation revealed the anger that was already in Cain's heart. Nothing can make you angry. Nothing can make you angry. Anger simply reveals your idolatry. Anger reveals your idolatry. Because at that moment, that moment of your anger, there is something that you want more than you want to please and love the Lord. There's something in that moment when you express that anger. It's somebody is standing or somebody or something is standing between you and your idol. And so your response is anger. Now, it might be, it might be a, 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 an outburst of anger, or it might be the kind of anger, that slow burn that's turned inwards, which at least initially we see here with Cain. As his face was, was downcast, his, literally his, his, his face was turned down, his countenance was, was turned down to the ground. Please turn with me, if you will, in your Bible to James chapter 4. James chapter 4, and we'll look at just at verses 1 to 4. James 4, 1 to 4. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to, to be the friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. So again, we see that, that warring passions lead to war with others, and war with others is enmity with God. It is division, it is hostility between you and the Lord. So again, we see Cain here described as, as very angry, as, as being downcast. You could picture him here, can't you? Maybe you could picture yourself being like this. He, he was fuming. 
Why isn't my offering accepted? Aren't my crops good enough? Why is my brother accepted instead of me? I'm the firstborn. I have rights. Friends, Cain was worshiping. But he was worshiping himself. He was worshiping himself. Another New Testament passage here provides insight in 1 John 3.12. We're warned that, that we should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. Now, did you catch that there? John here describes Cain as being of the evil one of the evil one. He is of the seed of Satan who is at war with Abel, the righteous seed. So Abel was on the Lord's side and Cain was on Satan's. This is again the war between the seed of, of the woman that points ultimately to the seed of Christ and the seed of the serpent, which is the seed of Satan. When, when we speak of, of the worship wars as, as congregations divide over music styles, as, as grievous as it is, this is much, much worse. Why did Cain murder Abel? Because Cain's deeds were evil and his brother's deeds righteous. That's why. That is, is what's going on. Because, because in worship, Abel was offering true worship, but, but Cain was offering false worship. So Cain did not just hate God, he, he did not just hate Abel, he also hated God. Again from, from Kidner, here we see for the first time the, the deadly antipathy between carnal religion to spiritual religion. Those who are walking in the flesh hate the Lord, but they also hate all of those who claim to love the Lord. Jesus warned his apostles in John 16. He said, Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is doing service to God. So he's saying that, that to, to the apostles that there's going to be people who are thinking they're actually serving God by killing you. We, we prayed about, about these, these issues this morning. The apostles experienced this at, at the hands of, of Saul of Tarsus as he tried to destroy the church and, and was complicit in the deaths of, of Stephen and probably many others. Saul thought he was serving God by persecuting the church. But remember when, when our Lord appeared to him on the road to Damascus, he said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? So when, when Saul was persecuting the church, the people of Christ, he was actually persecuting Christ himself. Is persecuting Christ. And this has been the case throughout much of, of church history. The reformers experienced this persecution as, as many were killed because they refused to accept the Roman Catholic Mass. The Puritans experienced it as they were, were expelled from their churches and their homes for their failure to submit to the Church of England's act of conformity. And I believe that if the Lord tarries, the day is coming when we'll see this in our culture too. But we won't just see it from, from other religions. I believe we will also see it under churches that claim to be Christian. 
We're already seeing that, that too, to such a great extent, so many churches have turned away from the truth of the gospel that it's really not that big of a jump for them to persecute those who follow Jesus Christ in spirit and in truth. But here in the midst of, of Cain's sin, in the midst of Cain's sullenness in, in verses 6 and 7, in the midst of his, of his anger, the Lord demonstrates mercy. He speaks to Cain. He warns Cain. The Lord said to him, Why are you angry and why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. So the Lord here is, is addressing both attitudes of, of Cain's heart. Why are you angry? Why has your face fallen? And the Lord extends an invitation to Cain. He says, if you do not do well, will you not be accepted? Now this is not works-based righteousness. The, the Lord is simply saying to Cain, if you repent and worship me in faith, I will accept you. I will accept your offering if you worship me as you should in your heart. But with that that invitation there's also a dire warning if you do not do well sin is crouching at the door its desire is contrary to you but you must rule over it we've seen that same terminology used in in, in chapter 3 when when the the woman is is cursed he says your desire god says to the woman your desire will be for your husband or against your husband but he will rule over you we talked about the way that that all of the 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 feminism that we see in our culture. Maybe the feminism you see even in your marriage. And all of the uh, male oppression we see in our culture, and maybe the oppression you see in your marriage is as a result of that curse. Here, using the same terminology, the Lord warns Cain. Again, if you, do not do, if, if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. If you do not turn from this path that you are on, sin will destroy you. It will destroy you. Your sin might look appealing to you, but its desire is contrary to you. Its desire is against you. Its desire is not for your best. It is for your destruction. Sin always aims at the worst possible expression of that sin. When you, you some of you might have, have seen the, the interview with, with, with um, Ted Bundy, the serial killer, before his execution, he had turned to faith in Christ. Yeah, I don't know how many women he had killed, but when he first started down the path of sin, he was not aiming at killing women. He was, he was trying to please his, his flesh. And he, he talks about, about pornography and the way that, that pornography enticed him into to worse and worse forms and more and more graphic forms until, until he became a killer. Now, not every individual who's in bondage to pornography becomes a killer, but that is what sin is aiming at. Whatever form of sin 
you engage in your life. That is what it is aiming at, the worst possible expression of that sin and your eventual destruction. Now, friends, the Lord knew what Cain was going to do. He knew that Cain was going to be damned, but he showed mercy and he warned him to turn away from that sin. And the same is true for, for many of the people, most of the people you speak to in evangelism. Most of them, as you warn them to, to flee from, from the wrath to come and to turn and find, find righteousness and peace in Christ, in Christ alone, most of the people you share the gospel with will reject your warning. But you warn them nonetheless out of love for the Lord and out of love for them. For many years, I eagerly pursued sin, drugs and alcohol and, and illicit relationships with women. And I have to admit, for, for a time, I enjoyed it. For a time, it was, was pleasurable. Sin does yield pleasure for a season. And, and I thought that, that sin was, was on my side. But all the time, it was against me. And it took many years and many hard lessons for me to wake up and realize that sin wanted to destroy me. A hungry bear that, that sees a pile of flesh sitting on the ground might, might walk up and think, oh, free meal. It looks good. It smells good. And thinks it might taste good until he puts his paw in it and feels the steel of that trap close around him to his death. And friends, that is what sin is like. It looks good. It looks appealing, but it will destroy you. There's a reason why sin is also called vice. Back in the day, I, I used to watch a, a, a lot of horror movies. Now, now, I don't endorse those movies, but, but the disturbing images that, that are still stuck in my mind are, I believe, here instructive. Think of the, the deranged and or demonic killer would be, would be hiding behind the door, waiting with a, a machete or an axe or, or some other hideous weapon, waiting to, to ambush his unsuspecting prey. So the camper walks into the cabin. I don't know why it always happens in cabins. But as the camper walks into the cabin, the audience watching the movie knows. They, they know what's coming. They, they want to yell, look out, the killer's behind the door. But the, killer's oblivious, the, the, the victim is oblivious until they walk through the door and they turn just in time to see that weapon come down, striking the lethal blow. Friends, sin is a far more lethal foe than you will find in any horror movie. It has power not just to destroy your life, but also to destroy your soul. That's what happened to Cain. Not just his life was destroyed, but also his soul. As John Owen warned, be killing sin or sin will be killing you. Sin's desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. You must conquer it. You must fight it as though not just your life, but your eternal soul hangs in the balance. We talked about this in the model prayer 
As the Lord taught us to pray in Matthew 6, 13, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Sin and the devil who is behind it has temptations for every sin and every circumstance of life. Temptations that are uniquely situated to you and your desires. Temptations that are, are geared to appeal to your flesh. James 1, 14 and 15 says, But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to, birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. What temptations are you prone to? What are the areas of sin that, that you have habitually fallen to? Now, our enemy is, is not a mind reader. He, he doesn't know what's going on inside your mind, but he and his minions are watching. They are watching. They know you. And they've been at this for thousands of years. They are very good at what they do. You must fight against your sin. You must turn away from it. You must find solace and strength in the Lord. As we sung earlier, a mighty fortress is our God. There is no other fortress than our God. Your only hope for victory over temptation and over sin is to flee to Christ. Because when you are weak, then you are strong because it is not your strength you rely upon, but his strength in you through the work of the Holy Spirit. So friends, Cain did not heed that warning. We read in verse 8, Cain spoke to Abel his brother, when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. He murdered his own brother. Now some of the, the manuscripts say that, uh, that, that Cain enticed or invited his brother to come into the field to, to kill him. Murder was, was in his heart. As Barnhouse says, Cain was a murderer in his heart before he was a murderer with his hands. But either way, Cain killed his brother. And the word that is used there is, is a different word from, from the, that of the, of the um, Ten Commandments, of the Sixth Commandment, that says, Thou shalt not kill. That, that word includes, uh, includes manslaughter, but this word that is used here refers especially and specifically to murder. This was intentional homicide. In our law, this would be first-degree murder. And so the Lord comes to him. He just warned him. But now he comes to bring charges against him. He, he, puts, he puts Cain on the docket and, and brings him to trial. And he says, what have you done? So he, say, he says, where is Abel your brother? And Cain responded to the Lord with belligerence. He first lies, says, I don't know. Now, the thought of, of lying to the omniscient God is a fool's game. 
But it doesn't just stop there. He says, he says again, in, with belligerence, with, with petulance, he back answers God saying, am I my brother's keeper? Now kids, I know you get in trouble when you back answer your parents. Cain is back answering God. He's revealing his heart and his hatred, not just for his brother, but his hatred for God. Cain was never called to be his, his brother's keeper. The idea of, of keeper implies not just to, to care for, but, but also to, to rule over and to control. Think of, of, of like a zookeeper. Cain wasn't called to be his brother's keeper, but he was called to love his brother. But he did expressly the opposite. He murdered his brother. Now the Lord doesn't, doesn't wait any, waste any time. He says, what have you done? The, the voice of your brother's blood is crying out to me from the ground. The voice of your brother's blood is crying out to me for the, for the ground. The Lord knows full well what, what Cain had done. But now the, but now the, the ground itself is, is metaphorically becoming the, the witness for the prosecution. The Cain's or Abel's blood is, is evidence against Cain for this murder. So then the Lord quickly turns to the sentence. In verses 11 and 12, And now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it shall no longer yield to you its strength. You shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. Now this here is a, is a step beyond what the Lord had done with, with Adam and Eve when, when he responded to them and their sin. We, we saw the way that, that with their consequence it fit the crime. And this is true, this is true here of Cain as, as well. But, but with Adam, the ground was cursed and now Cain himself is cursed. Cain himself is cursed. And so again, this punishment fits the crime. As the, the ground had, had opened its mouth to receive Abel's blood, now this ground is tur has turned against Cain. And now Cain, who was a, a worker of the ground, will, will have to work even more hard in order to, to receive a, 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 meager, a, a meager sustenance from it. And likewise, he is, he is, is driven from the face of the Lord. He's cursed to, to wander, which, which, as we'll see, points to exile. And so he who had offered to the Lord false worship is now being driven from the face of the Lord. The consequence fits the crime. But Cain responds to the Lord, my punishment is greater than I can bear. Behold, you have driven me today away from the ground and away from your face I shall be hidden. I shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth and whoever finds me will kill me. There is not a hint of penitence in his response. The, the one who is truly repentant accepts the consequences. Think of the, of the thief on the cross who, who, said, who said, we are getting what we deserve for our sin as opposed to those, the, the, the wicked who are, being punishment, who are being punished in Revelation 16 who, who, who gnash their teeth against God who, as they're being, they being punished. Cain is not even accepting the Lord's punishment. And ironically, he who 
killed his brother. He says, whoever finds me will kill me. So evidently, there was, uh, Adam and Eve had had more children before the birth of Seth, which would come in, in 130 years. At, at, the, at, sorry, at the age of, of Adam's age being 130, he had that they'd had more children prior to Seth and that, that these children, that Cain's own family, would seek vengeance against him for the death of their brother. But again, the Lord has mercy on Cain. Look at verse 15. The Lord said to him, not so. If anyone kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And so the Lord put a, a mark on Cain so, so that uh, lest anyone should, who found him should attack him. Now, now, we don't know what that mark or what that sign was, but, but somehow it, it, it revealed that, that Cain was under the Lord's protection and that there would be consequences to attacking him. And so even in his unrepentant sin, Cain was being protected by the Lord. The Lord was having mercy on him. And so with verse 16, Cain went away from the presence of the Lord and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. Nod means, means wandering. Imagine for, for somebody who, who, who was to work the ground, the idea of wandering would have meant relentless work having to continually find new plots of, of land until we'll see next week how he settled and, and, and formed a city. As we consider this sin of, of Cain, as we cringe at the, the vileness of it, but we need to realize that we are all guilty of the same things as Cain. Yes, not to the same extent. But whenever we fail to worship God as we should, with, with a, a sincere heart of faith, whenever we are, are unrighteously angry with a brother or sister, whenever we fail to heed the warning to turn from our sin, whenever we fail to repent, whenever we try to hide our sin from God, whenever we fail to accept the punishment, the consequences for our sin, we are doing exactly the same thing that Cain did. What hope? What hope do we have in the face of our sin. We have no hope apart from the blood of Christ. For the blood of Christ speaks of a, of a new covenant. It testifies to a new covenant, the new covenant in Christ's blood, even as the ground cried out for justice against Cain. The blood of Christ calls out for forgiveness, for mercy. Friends, Jesus is the mediator of a new covenant to the sprinkled blood that speaks of a better word than the blood of Abel, of Abel Hebrews 12, 24. 
The blood of Christ is speaking to you today. The blood of Christ is calling out to you, offering you mercy in Jesus Christ. And for some who are sitting here this morning, very possibly this means to turn away from your sin for the first time and to put your faith in Jesus, to, to stop believing in yourself, to stop worshiping the, the world and the, and the flesh and the devil and to turn and worship Christ. For, for some of you, that's what this, this means. To repent and follow Jesus. But for all of us, even for those who are truly born again, even for all of us who, 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 who are real worshipers of Christ, we acknowledge that we still fall short. We, we still fall short in our, in our worship. We still fall short in our love. We still fall short in our response to our sin and God's chastening. But the blood of Christ still speaks. It's so easy for us to, to think that, okay, we've got the gospel. Now, now we can move on to other things. But friends, we never move away from our need for the gospel. You need the gospel every bit as much today as you needed it on that first day you were saved. Preach the gospel to yourself. Preach the blood of Christ to yourself. Find hope and find restoration in Christ. For it is only in Christ who we can find, where we can find peace with God. Jesus Christ submitted himself to the wrath of God. The Father poured out all of his just wrath on his Son. He extinguished the wrath for God's people on his Son. And Jesus gave up his life. He died, but rose again on the third day, showing his victory over the world, showing his victory over sin, showing his victory over death, showing his victory over Satan. There is a war that is raging. Yes, the beachhead has been taken. Yes, Christ has won the victory for us on the cross. But until the day of his return, that war still rages. One day, Jesus is going to put an end to it all. One day, he is going to accomplish full and final victory over Satan and all those who worship him. Friends, whose side are you on? Whose side are you on? Let's pray together. Our Lord and our God, we thank you and we praise you for the word of the gospel. We who, who know it and understand it living as we do after the cross in a way the Old Testament saints could not comprehend, let alone in the way that, that Cain comprehended. Lord, Cain rejected you because he was not of your seed. But Lord, we who gather here this morning who are, are of the seed of Jesus, allied and aligned with him, Lord, we thank you for the forgiveness that we have, have received in Christ, for forgiveness for sins that we commit every day. 
Lord, I pray that, that you would help us to preach the gospel to ourselves and that through the power of the gospel, through your Holy Spirit, that we would walk in ways that, that, that reveals our allegiance to you, that we would walk in ever-increasing obedience and conformity to Christ for your glory and for the building of your church. Amen.